relationships. That's our deal. Please turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And we're going to have the words on the screen, but we love for you to follow along in your Bibles. And so if you don't have one, we're going to have some people coming down the aisles with Bibles right now. Don't feel weird about this. We pass them out every week. Please grab a Bible and flip through it and follow through it. Uh, If you'd like to do that, just raise your hands high and they'll give you that. Okay? Let me get a sip of water and uh, we'll keep going. So where we're at in the book of Titus... Um, essentially the church is growing, right? Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. This causes this great uh, growth and explosion because people saw a guy who was dead is no longer dead and he's taught all of these things. And so his disciples begin to say, man, maybe everything he said is, is legit, right? Uh, may, maybe all this stuff about this kingdom coming is true and real and I'm supposed to invest and give my life to this and the resurrection sealed that for him and for her and for the early church. And so as it explodes, new churches are being planted across Europe and Asia. And the letter to, the, to this guy, Titus, a disciple of Paul, is to tell him this is what needs to happen in order for the church to continue to be healthy and on mission. Okay? These are some groundwork level, uh, ground base layer type things that we need to figure out if the church is to continue to have the impact in the, the kind of the new Christianity, this new movement, this new religion that has been formed, for it to continue to expand, the kingdom to continue to go, this is what a church needs to look like. And, and the lessons given to the first century church are not all that different. In fact, I would say they're pretty much identical to the church today. That what we read here in Titus, this isn't just, okay, well, that's what it meant for first century Christians, but, but we can kind of do our own thing. It doesn't work like that. The Bible was not just for a moment. It is for all time. And so God communicates to us and says, okay, Redemption Church Flagstaff, maybe glean some things here. What does this mean in the context of 2016? What to eldership? What does leadership? What to all these different things? What does healthy and sound doctrine versus bad teaching and bad doctrine look like? I want to say a couple things before we jump into the text today that I think are important in framing this discussion for us so that we leave convicted and not frustrated, okay? Uh, I, I think the big, one of the big ones is, is that we, I don't know how much we actually trust the Bible for the Bible, okay? We trust the Bible when it tends to agree with the worldview that we already possess, and so what happens is, is now you interpret your life, or rather you interpret the Bible through your worldview instead of interpreting your worldview through the Bible. This is not super healthy for the Christian who believes this is the word of God communicated to man so we would know the story of God and how to live in that kingdom. One of my favorite authors, this guy Stanley Hauerwas, he's this kind of raging, crotchety old man, but he's just brilliant and has said some amazing things. And one of, uh, a book that he wrote, I believe in like 1978, so this is 30 plus years ago, and I think he had the foresight to see something happening in our culture, and he said this. He said, I believe that a Christian in America today believes that they have the right, if not the pious obligation, to read and interpret scripture. I challenge that assumption And I do not think there is a greater cause in American Christianity than to remove the Bible from every Bible-believing Christian in the world today. Okay. He was being facetious. Okay. He was being over the top. But he was doing so because I think he began to see a trend in American Christianity where all of a sudden we made the Bible about us. 
where we started taking scripture and saying, okay, well, man, what, what does it say that I like, and then what does it say that I don't like? And I'll take what I like, but I'm going to leave what I don't. I, I think he began to understand that we would just want to open up our own Bibles, interpret it however makes most sense to us, fits with our life, and then continue on from there. And he's like, listen, if that's going to be the case, give me back your Bible, because that's not what this is about. This is about Christ, his story, his word, his commands, and not what you think is necessarily good and hopeful and righteous. Now, now if, if, we don't, if we don't buy into this reality this morning, some of what we'll read today will be incredibly frustrating, and you will leave not just mad at me or mad at the church, you'll leave probably mad at God, unless you just discredit the whole thing and say, but I know better. May it not be for the church in 2016, may it not be for the first century church that they would hear these words from God through man to say, okay, this is what life looks like now. This is what the kingdom of God looks like now, and we should say certainly the same thing. The second part to this is I don't want us just to to hear the Bible and say, okay, God, if you say so, I'm in. Like, I don't think God cares so much about this begrudging submission to what is true and his will. Like, like, I don't think, it, I think it's more about our hearts, right? Like, I don't think he cares where it's like, okay, I guess so, God, since you said it, man, I hate it, I dislike it, I think you're wrong, you're a moron, but man, I, I, I guess I'll believe it because you could strike me down. This begrudging submission is not what he's looking for either. In other words, I don't want you just to swallow the pill, I want you to love swallowing the pill. Like, I want us to be able to read the scripture and say, man, that is difficult, but Lord, I love and trust you, and because I love and trust you, this surely must be good for my soul, and good for our church, and good for the world. Think about this. If you're married, and your husband or wife asks something of you, right? We've been in this. Honey, will you do this? I guess so. Does that ever go well? No. Now for me, Verity says, honey, will you do this? I'm like, of course, babe, I love you. (laughs) And I do it perfectly every time. But for the rest of you, begrudging submission is not the thing. It's just not, hear me, God is not here and I'm not here to browbeat you into just believing God and following certain passages of the Bible. Do you love and trust him? Do you know him? If so, that needs to form the way you take what he says. I love my wife and my son more than anyone in this entire world, and so when they speak, she and this little guy, even at two, only saying like seven words anyway, has my ear more than anyone else in the world. But our love for God's surpasses that. So surely then he should have our ear and have our hearts. He should have our obedience, even in the midst of difficult texts. Now, um, we're going to see two major groups uh, get oppressed kind of in this text. And here's what I mean by this. Not by the Bible, but by sinful men and women who've treated the Bible wrongly. And there is a huge difference here. I want you to know, I do not apologize for Scripture this morning. 
You don't need to. Scripture's good. It's perfect. God is good. God is perfect. I do apologize, though, and there will be sorries given out for the fact that we have taken this passage, believe me, multiple times throughout history, the church, Christianity, people, individuals have used this passage to shove down, to marginalize two major groups in our society, and we will talk about that. They're not the only two groups that get talked about in the passage, but we'll probably spend most of our time there, although it is all very interrelated. So with that being said, let's jump into the text. Verse 1 says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is a huge contrast from where we landed in the last verse of chapter 1. So he just finished up saying, man, all the false teachers and these false teachings have arisen, contradict them, oppose them, rebuke them. But as for you, Christian, as for you, good teacher, teach good doctrine. So he sets up this intentional contrast to say, man, do you realize who you are? Where do you identify? Are you, listen, do you identify with chapter one, the last five or six verses, or is this you here? And identify yourself this morning, because if If you're a Bible-believing, Jesus Christ is my Lord, Christian, listen up. Teach sound doctrine, okay? Teach what is good and profitable and righteous. And listen, teach what is in Scripture. Don't try and bring in all your other stuff. Listen, there's commentary, and that's what we do here on Sunday mornings, right? We, We bring commentary to the text, right? But we don't allow the text to shape, or we don't allow our commentary to shape the text. The text shapes our commentary, Okay. So he's going to continue on, but I think what we have to notice then is as we pursue the rest of this text is that then everything that comes next is indeed good and sound doctrine. That is not crazy. That is not just something that like got tossed in there. Paul wasn't just this silly man who had these other issues. No, no, no. Everything that, and that comes next, Paul at least is saying is good and sound doctrine. Teach what is good, and here's what that looks like. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Okay? There's not a ton of time we need to spend here. It's pretty straightforward. Older men, be these things. Be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Be these type of men, older men, and listen, it, the, you know, obviously over time, older men changes based on life expectancy, place, all that type of stuff. But here, if you consider yourself an older man, and let's be honest, if you're at this church, I'm an older man here, right? <laughs> older men, be these things. And so older men, I ask you, are you these things? If, if you sat down, you triaged your life right now, Yep, that's me. Like that, that, that describes and characterizes my life. This doesn't mean there's not sin. That doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. This doesn't mean you don't get in arguments with your wife. This means, does this characterize, does this color, can I look at you, will people around you at your eulogy say, yeah, you know what, this guy, sober-minded, definitely, dignified, absolutely, and on down the line, would people say this when you die? And if they don't, hey, let's, let's course correct, right? As we, we keep saying these letters from Paul to the churches in the New Testament, they're course correctors. Say, hey, you're off a little bit, so let's, let's bring you back in, okay? So gentlemen, older men, is, is this you? Do you fit the bill here? 
I used to be on staff with the Jesus Film out in Orlando, California, and that was kind of home base. We'd fly out of there, travel out of there, and go to different places around the world. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm always weird to bring up that story because Anthony says I bring it up too much as if I'm bragging, and I don't mean to be. But the reality is I'm living in Orlando, and there was this amazing Bible institute that does most of the Bible translation across the world. It's called Wycliffe. Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they had this amazing, I'll get you out, this amazing cafeteria. Five-star chef quit his job to go work at the cafeteria at Wycliffe Bible Translators. Okay. And so we would go there to eat almost every day we were in the country. And our favorite part, I kid you not, our favorite part of every visit to this place was not the food. And I like food, okay? But rather it was this table of about usually eight to ten older men. And they would be there, and it'd be, a, it'd be kind of this rotation of eight to ten older men, and they'd always be sitting at this one table, and we always called it the dudes' table, because to us, they were just the dudes, like they did it right, these guys. It's a big Lebowski reference, if you're a fan. The dudes' table. And what we would do is we would, if there was ever an open chair, one of us would try and slide in and just sit there and just listen. Because every man at that table... It was usually over 70, 80, some into their 90s. And I think each and every one, I don't know if there was like a rite of passage you had to prove you did this or whatever, but had been overseas working for Christ in some type of missionary context for at least 50 years. And they were back in America I, to die, I guess. I mean, like, I, I'm not, and, I, and that stuff they said, that's not me being rude. Like, they're just like, oh, I'm done. Like, I can't. I can't, I'm not effective over there anymore. So they come back and we're going to retire. We're going to live life here. We're going to do our thing. Like that was them and their wives. They had great stories about what life meant back at home now. But man, you just listen to the faithfulness of these men. And honestly, it didn't even take them to say something or to look at you and say, man, you need to live this way. You just caught wisdom. You just caught obedience. You just caught love. You caught mission. You caught engagement. You just began to just be around these people, right? And so we would like stalk them as they left, show up to different things we knew they'd be at, like, hey, it's me again. Older men, if I took eight to ten of you and put you guys all at a table this afternoon, would younger men like me want to sit with you? Like if we, if we pulled you together, and honestly, there's, there's probably about ten of you over 60 in the room right now, okay? So if we took all ten of you, and I said, hey, I'm going to get you a table over at Beaver Street Brewery. And I told a bunch of young guys, hey, there's 10 guys sitting in there. Do you think they'd go? Do you have that type of impact and wisdom? Are we living this out? And I think when we live this out, it's not something we have to force. It's just something that's caught in being around these type of men. We need these type of men in the church. And I don't just mean redemption flagstaff, although the need is probably greater here because of the youth. Let's continue. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women. And let me stop there, and we'll continue on. But older women, likewise, right? There's, there's kind of this, okay, this is what this should look like for you as well. So th- there's not just, okay, men, you need to just be this, and you need to be great, and you need to, you know, women, here's, here's, here's some stuff. And I ask you the same question. Is this you? 
Right, right. Older women, if you run down this list, reverent behavior, not slander, slaves to much wine, do they teach what is good and so then invest, train, disciple, mentor younger women? And I don't even say this has to be in a, hey, let's go sit down and get coffee. I think it's also, if I took eight to 10 of the 60 plus year old women in our church, sat you down at a table, would women want to be there? Would they begin to catch the wisdom and the life that you've lived in obedience to God? Does this mark you? Again, this doesn't mean that you're not sinning. It doesn't mean that you, got, you didn't get in a fight with your husband the day before. You didn't yell at your children. It just means, does this stuff mark you? The same way does that stuff mark older men. I, I grew up in a town in California for high school uh, called Canyon Lake. And uh, it was kind of this really cool, hip, trendy part of uh, of the Inland Empire, which doesn't sound like that should exist, uh, if you're familiar at all with Riverside. Um, but it was the kind of the cool part of Riverside, right? So there was, there was a lot of youth, right? And you would, if you made money early on, you'd kind of move back to Canyon Lake. It was a gated community. It was all this kind of stuff. And I cannot tell you how often as a high schooler, as a 14 to 18-year-old, I showed up at a party and I expected there to be no mom or dad. And yet at every party, there was both, and they were the ones providing the liquor. Okay? And this was just rampant. Like, th- this was not the exception. This was the rule where I'm from. Because they had bought into a different narrative that the world now sells. That we can't be true. Right? We, we can't preach Morality. We can't be strict. We can't judge. There's not a best way to do things. It's about just being everyone's friend. It's about just being nice enough. It's about, man, I don't want my kids to hate me, and so I'm going to be that cool mom or that cool dad. I want to say first to a parent very specifically, don't do that. I cannot tell you the layers upon layers upon layers of destruction that has led to for many of my friends from high school. But also, let us fight against the culture in this age that says, man, we cannot dictate or set a morality that is actually better for the communities around us. It just doesn't make sense. If, if I knew that this was a better way to live, man, if you did this, your life would be full of flourishing. It doesn't necessarily mean nothing bad will happen. But purpose and flourishing and goodness in all the right ways, surely... I should tell you. Our culture is saying, leave that and check that at the door. Christian, may it not be. Okay, may it, may it not be. Before we move on to this, these last couple, I just want to say this to our church right now, and I alluded to it in the first one, but older men and women, gosh, do we need you. Here at this church, do we need you. Now, across the whole church, older men and women, man, do we need you. And this is not a ploy, like, please just keep coming here. on The church of Christ, if it is to continue its mission, needs your wisdom. It needs your life. I cannot tell you how many times over the last three and a half years since we started this church, and I started this church when I was 28, Anthony was like 25, Nate 23 that we have made terrible and boneheaded decisions, but have sat, hopefully, and not always done it right, but sat underneath the wisdom of older folks that we trust. 
And it has helped us in ways we will probably never understand this side of heaven. Older men went, gosh, do we need you. I've shared this story once before, but one time Shirley Chance came up to me after the first time they visited, and she says to me, hey, I love what God's doing here. I love what you're doing here, but don't worry. We're not going to stay. I don't want to interrupt your college ministry. And I remember saying, no. (laughs) No, you have to stay. And then I chained her to our trailer. Um, Older men and women, we, we need you. The church needs you. And it needs you not just to show up here on a Sunday morning. It needs you to invest in me. It needs you to invest in our young leaders. It, it needs you to invest, honestly, look, it needs you to invest in 66% of this church. And the reality is, is I want you to just paint this picture and this vision for you. The reality is, is the 66%, and that's, that's an 18 to 24 kind of range. Most of them, and, and sorry, I wish you would stay, but you're not going to stay, right? You're going to leave and go back to where you're going to go. We see this church as a sending church, right? Like we're just hopefully training, equipping, and sending missionaries all around this country and world because you're probably going to leave. And so listen, older men and women, please invest in some of the youth here because you're training missionaries to go to the world. And also, invest in each other. Okay. At 32, there's only so much that I can tell Randy and Kelly Morris about how to raise their youngest daughter. And by there's only so much, I mean there's nothing. <laughs> if it's not in the Bible, I'm clueless, right? I'm like, listen, I'll quote a scripture. That, that's draw the line right there. We need you to invest in each other. We need you to kind of hunt each other down, Right? sit in little pockets and pods and talk about how all the crazy youth here are crazy, okay? <laughs> Older men and women, we, we need you at this church, and, and we're, not, we're not special. This is just existing across the church and the world today. Man, do we, do we need you. One of the things that I thought of this week that I had, well, just a very simple thing I had to be mentored and just told about when I first got saved. I mean, it's practical, it's theological and practical. Theological, and I, I thought it was still okay to just date any non-Christian woman after I got saved. No one told me. And so like the first like six months to a year, I'm just still out dating everybody. And, I, and someone comes to me and says, hey, what are you doing? I said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Practically, the first time, I remember one of the first times I'm at church and the first time I had the gumption, right, I had the desire to raise my hands in worship, I did this. <laughs> I kid you not, right? And if you don't know what this is, right? I mean, this is like, I, I did some research, Okay. <laughs> Because I had no idea. I just saw other people doing it at rock shows in high school. But it's literally, it's like, it's, it's one, on one hand, it's, it's a Buddhist magic gesture. Kid you not? And two, you're invoking the horn god of Wicca. Like, that's what this is. And I'm in church. Let's go, Lord, right? Until someone tapped me on the shoulder and just went, and told me, and so there's just, listen, there's some theological, there's a lot of practical stuff that, gosh, we just don't know, okay? And as I try and raise my two-year-old son, I just don't know. And as, as some of these old, you know, uh, mid-range families, as they start getting kids into middle school, high school, they just don't know, okay? We, we need you, we need you, we need you. Sorry if I belabored that point a bit too much, okay? Um, now, up to this point, we're generally doing pretty good, right? Like, we, we, we're not too frustrated with the text. This is good. Older men and women, do your thing. Fantastic. Invest, invest, invest. 
this is kind of where the controversy begins, and there's three big ones. And so there's some of this that's not that controversial, but there's, but there's some that are. And we're going to look at it through three lenses, like uh, the context of the situation, what it's not saying, and what it is saying. Okay, and so let's, let's jump into this. Verse 4. So again, older women, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, there, there's some things certainly in there where it's like, amen, yeah, that's, that's just great. We're across the board. No one's going to argue that, hey, being self-controlled and pure is not a good thing. Right? We're like, of course. And so there is a level to this. Younger women, is this you? Can you run down the checklist right now and say, yep, that's me. That would mark my life out of eulogy, the whole deal. Is this me? Okay. But there arises certainly two, two parts of this text that uh, unfortunately and historically have been used to abuse women. To, to, to cause women, uh, specifically in the home, to not be treated in line with the Imago Dei. So not in line with culture or what culture thinks is right, but not in line with the image of God that is imprinted upon them in every single way it's imprinted upon me and every other male in this room. It's been abused. And so we do not apologize for this passage. I apologize that it has been used poorly. It has been used sinfully. And some of you, some of you have felt the weight of that. Like, that is not lost on me this morning. Some of you sit here and, man, you, you've sat underneath the weight and oppression of this reality on a very individual level. But as we talk about, even as we're teaching this class last week and then this Sunday on equality in the Bible, that this has also seeped into systems throughout not just our nation, but the world that has also created an oppression at levels towards women that oftentimes we're quite ignorant to as well. That the church needs to be on the forefront of waking up and saying, okay, what does that mean, right? That's a heavy word, and so how do we navigate this I'd encourage you to, you know, you can't come to class. It's already full. We already bought all the lunch, so too bad. But you can come and talk to me. You can come and sit down. Come and sit down with, with Anthony. Sit down with Randy and Kelly Morris, who are not just part of the class, but people I respect in incredible ways. Sit down with Andy and Josh. Sit down with Katie and John. Sit down with, jo- I'm just doing the whole front row, Josh and Kate, uh, Joseph and Kate. You guys are crushing it. Way to go. Um, Sit down and have these talks if you're like, well, what does that mean? But I want to say this. I want to focus in on these two. First one, the context of this idea of working at home. Okay. I don't think after you understand this, this should be that difficult. Okay. But yet there still rages on this constant controversy. But the reality is that there was a different culture that existed then. This does not explain off the verse, don't try and do that. But it was a different culture, and we have to acknowledge that. It was not 2016 post-industrial revolution America. It's not. Okay? It's an agrarian society. Most of the men, yeah, they didn't, like, go off to the city center and work in a skyscraper. Right? They didn't go off and start their own business over, you know, 50 miles down the road after a commute down Highway 91. That's a California reference. You don't even know what that is. Okay? Most of them... They're pretty pretty much homebodies too. They ran their trades out of their own land. 
It wasn't, okay, we're not at the house. They're also at the house. They're just doing some work. Oftentimes, women did just stay and take care of the kids. Okay? This is just the reality of the culture. This is most. Now, not all. Not all. Proverbs 31, a few texts here. 31, 16, 18, and 24. I'm just going to read them very quickly. She, Proverbs 31, woman, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants vineyards. 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's, she's toiling. She's working. 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So a couple things it's not saying. This is not saying when it says work at home that women, you have to be stay-at-home moms. It's, it's not saying that. It's not saying that you cannot go out and have a job. It's not saying you cannot go out and have a career. Okay. It's just not saying that. This Proverbs 31 woman had a job. And I want to emphasize, because as you read the Proverbs 31 woman, it feels like she just runs her own Etsy business, right? <laughs> like, it feels like, yeah, she makes some stuff at home. She tosses it on the website. She doesn't do too much, so we'll allow it, right? That's, that's not what this is either. She was engaged. She had work. She worked. She had a livelihood. Okay? So that's what it's not saying. It's not saying, women, you cannot work. Okay? What it is saying. What it is saying is that there are, and I think it does continue to acknowledge differences in men and women. I think it does intentionally acknowledge male and female, and that is how God created Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created male and he created female. If he wanted us to be the same, he would have created one homo, just one homogeneous person thing, right? It just would have been female. I don't <laughs> I should have planned that out. Um, but no, he creates two. Like he, he creates male intentionally. And then he creates female intentionally. And they are to work together for the glory of God and the flourishing of of all society. So this is, this is not an opportunity for us to say, yeah, it's all the same. There's no distinction. There's no proclivity. There's no wiring. There's no, that is not what this is saying. Men are created. Women are created. And oftentimes, this will manifest itself in the fact and the reality that still to this day, and I'm not saying this is even true for every married couple because I'm not in your living rooms, but the reality is, is that for our home, there's some type of connection with my son and my wife that I don't have with him. But there's also some type of connection that I have with my son that my wife doesn't. Okay? It's different. Okay? It's different. And so what this is saying is that women, I do believe that your focus, your priority in life, if you have kids, and that's what it brings into this, is to raise and care for those children. But, hear me, that's also the priority for you men. Okay? Husbands, if you neglect your family, you're worse off. Right? This is not okay for you either. If you have a job where you leave the home and you forget about your family, you're as bad as an unchristian. You're not covering, providing, or protecting your family in any way other than what is to serve you. Now there's sin, and you just need to course correct. Come back. 
But what Paul is specifically addressing, we're going to get into, and we're going to land this ship in a little bit with the context of why specifically he's coming at women. But he's saying this to women. Listen up. Okay. Love your kids. Care for your kids. Care for your home. Have a career if you want to, but do not neglect your responsibilities there. In the same way that I believe every man is called and is responsible to have first his priority to care for his family, women, that needs to be you too, and you should not be offended by that. It's your kids, it's your family. And I will rail on men all day long when they drop their responsibility. But ladies, you have to be willing to hear, okay, listen, if I decide to go to work for 60 hours a week and my kid continues to say to me, mom, I miss you. Will you please spend more time with me? And there are not reasons why that exists. And there are. Single parents, broken situations. I get that. That's something else. And we can talk about that. But if it's a situation where you're like, man, my family needs me at home more. And you're saying, too bad, I want my career more than I want your flourishing. That is sin all day. But it's sin for the men too. So Paul is railing on this. Women, and if you're going to work at home, you need to do it well. There's all sorts of manifestations of this. Okay. If that is going to be your primary spot of occupation and vocation, and I do believe a stay-at-home mom is just as much a career and vocation as any other job we can get in this world. If that's where you're going to be, you should work and work hard as if you were a surgeon or any other profession that we tend to exalt in our society. Work, invest, care, love. Pour everything into it. I asked uh, a guy, he's a teacher down at Phoenix Seminary, and I asked him a hard question. It's a question that even to this very moment right now, as I say it, I continue to wrestle with, right? Um, Because this is not the way I was raised, and I'm just being super honest and open with you guys. This is not the way I was raised. And I asked him, I said, hey, so the whole stay-at-home dad thing, is that okay, Right? Can, can a dad just choose to just stay at home and he's the one that takes care of the kids and, and the wife goes out and, and earns the money and does the work and she can get a livelihood and the whole deal and provide for the family financially. And, uh, and this guy is light years more conservative than me on almost every level. And he goes, of course she can. And I was like, really? Because that's not what I've understood for years and years and years. And, and I still wrestle with this reality. I just want to lay my cards on the table. I say, well, man, what about kind of man, right? God being, uh, God calling us to be providers, right? Provide for our family. What does that look like? And so I pushed him on it a bit, and he said, well, provision looks, can look different. Provision in first century church looks different than provision in 2016. I said, man, Del, who said you are, you are killing me right now, man. I, I, I need to wrestle with this right now because I didn't expect you to say that. And so I'm here to just tell you, I'm not sure. I believe that guy a lot. He's smarter than me. But I know at the same time, and maybe a lot of you are coming from that same background, that's not the way you were raised either. 
And that's not maybe the way that you've understood or interpreted scripture either. And that's kind of, that's the battle that I'm in. That's honestly why I sit down with, with like a gal like Katie and Emily and, um, and Ashley and different people that I'm just like, gosh, dude, some of that stuff, what? Like that's, that is so far from anything I would just come up on my own and you know what? I need a drink. And so, um, of, of soda. Coke Zero is quite good, but. But man, I, I have to be willing to understand that there are things I don't know. That I'm just, I, I, listen, every single one of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we're all kind of just before God woefully ignorant. In comparison with him, we know nothing. It is his wisdom, his goodness, his knowledge I want us to seek. And so this is a super hard one. The second one we're going to go through a bit quicker, okay, because, um, uh, just because we've talked about this actually a lot in the past, okay? But this whole general distinction between being submissive to their own husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter 2, etc., etc. There are multiple texts. I think this type of reality gets messed up when you start viewing it through the context of just a single verse that we want to explain away because it doesn't seem culturally appropriate to us. But I'm going to say this, and this I do not have a problem saying, that I do believe the overarching narrative and arc of the Bible does preach male headship in the home. I I think from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, I do believe, men, you're supposed to lead your home. You're supposed to cover your wives in the word. That does not mean, wives, you just get a free pass and you don't need to know the Bible and also teach your husbands. Randy and Kelly, man, I'm sorry I'm calling you guys so much, but Kelly just disciples Randy all day long. It's crazy. And me too. You see this pattern? Listen, We can be okay with this language because we love and trust Jesus. That's why we got to start there. Do we believe this book? Do we believe God is loving and just, or was he just crazy when he said all this? He wasn't. And so what this does not mean, submissive to your own husband, is that you must blindly obey everything your husband tells you. Absolutely not. Please do not do that. In fact, if, if that is the way your marriage is set up right now, let's set up a meeting. Okay, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna push and, and just mess that up right away. You do not blindly follow. You use your intellect, your wisdom. You use your volition. You use your giftings to love and to serve in that way. Um, this also means you must, not have a, uh, you must not have an opinion. It also doesn't mean that you can't have opinions, right? This, this is just silly. And yet, throughout the history of the church, since this passage was given, men have used this to tell their wives to be quiet. Be submissive, be quiet, don't talk, I don't want to hear it. That is not okay. What it is saying, okay, is I would say it's saying this. <laughs> Love Jesus enough. Love and trust Christ enough. Believe in the Savior Christ enough in your life that your justification is not found in your opinion or your rights or your etc. But it is based solely and squarely in the blood of Jesus. And so you can be confident that regardless of who you're around, because the reality is we're about to get into one more topic before we land here that's even more tough than this one. And even for that people group, it's going to say, submit. Because the reality is we have to understand the beauty of the gospel is about a God who deserved far much more, but laid down what he deserved for the sake of the flourishing of the other. 
And so I think first and foremost, this type of thing is saying, wives, love Christ more than anything else in your life. Because if it doesn't start there, this can derail super quick. Okay? And I get why. I think it's also saying, men, you better be good men. You, you better be good men that's worth following. I say this at every wedding I do. I say, men, become, I'm looking at a few of the guys I've wed. Again, that front row, you guys are crushing it today. Oh, Josh, you didn't get this, man. So you don't, hey, this is you, Josh. All right? Be a, be a man worth following. Josh. Okay? Listen, you think this is just easy for women, fellas? To allow you to be the leader, especially listen, in our culture where finally women are being able to use their giftings the way they should be able to throughout history. Oh, it's a wrestle, and we have to understand that, okay? So you better be good men that are worth having as heads of the home. And again, ladies, if that's not happening, let's also set up a meeting and work through this. Okay, I understand there might be a lot of questions around this. Come and talk to me, please, because in, in 20 minutes that I spent on that stuff, that, I'm probably woeful. I'm like, I'd probably mess everything up. You probably all hate me right now. I don't know. But let's talk. Let's chat. If that stuff, you just, it's really pushing up on your doorstep and, and there's frustration. Whatever. Let's, let's talk about that. I, I really, I love you. I, I want to have that conversation. I also want to learn more and more. Okay, so let's, uh, let's get in the last few verses here. Verse 6, um, 7, and 8 deal um, with younger men. It says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about this. So, uh, so young men, okay? Listen up. Young men, is this you? And there's, um, there's nothing, right? So as a 32-year-old looking back on me getting saved in college, there, there's nothing more I enjoy than just railing on guys for not being men. This is a picture. This is a glimpse. This is what a man does with an aspiration to become an older man that lives like this. Does this mark you, fellas? So when you go home today and you're laying down, could you come down this list and say, yeah, okay, self-control, okay, kind of, you know, good works, I'm trying to do that. Integrity, dignity, sound speech, etc. Is this me? Again, if you died at your eulogy, would these things come up? I hope so. I hope so. And if it's not, course correct. Okay? Get a mentor. Find one of these older, and this is women too. Find one of these older women or men in the church and just stalk them. Right? Like Chandler always says, like, just show up at their yoga class. You know, like, hey, I love yoga. You know? I don't know if there's a lot of older men doing yoga. I don't know what older men do. Golf, probably. Right? That's stereotypical. I apologize, but <laughs> let's be honest, okay? Um, but I do want to hit on one thing, and I, I think I'm going a lot today, so I apologize, but I want to hit on this one thing with younger men. Be careful what you say, okay? Gosh, man, we, and I am more guilty this. Ask my wife. I talk more than any human on the planet. Like, it's a, and I just say so much stuff, and I'm like, that was, as I say, I'm like, that was dumb. That was dumb. I shouldn't have said that, right? But it's already out. Slow down, men. Listen, young guy, say less. Listen way more. And I'm preaching to myself at so many levels. Say less and listen more. Say, say what is good and true and profitable. Don't get caught up in kind of this loud brashness that I think has just 
overcome our culture today for young men. Okay? Don't, don't let that be a thing that marks you. I, especially, and I'm going to say this. Man, some of your Facebook posts have just got to stop. Like your comments, the way you argue, the things you say about each other, just stop. Like it's not helpful. Okay? Be careful what you say because the world is watching. Okay? The final addressee of Paul here is, is slaves. Okay? And like I said, the, the, this to me I think is the heaviest that we have to deal with. Okay? Uh, yeah, verse 9. Bond servants. And, and depending on what version of the ESV Bible that you have or, or whatever different translation, some will use the word slaves. The most recent ESV translation has changed to bond servants, but it can be easily substituted with slaves. Because the slaves, bond servants, are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Ten, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now this is very difficult to read in 21st century America to say, wait a minute, okay? Is Paul, is this the Bible advocating for slavery? Okay? And first, no, it's not. But man, I tell you, this, hear me, this passage can be seen written down by slave owner after slave owner after slave owner after slave owner after slave owner about why the slaves that they had in the early parts of our country, of this great nation that we've created, that they said this over and over and over again so that their slaves would have to be quiet and take whatever they gave. This has been used and abused throughout history. The church must say sorry. We don't apologize for the Bible. We apologize when we mess it up. And it has been messed up for many a year. And the realities is, the realities are, is that what we discipled into young black men and women 300 years ago, what you pour into a culture doesn't just go away because you signed some legislation. It just doesn't. It is embedded, it is ingrained Our church, after we pour and disciple you, hopefully to trust in the gospel beyond anything else in your life, hopefully after generation after generation that has seeped into the culture here, were to pull it away from you would be completely terrible. The reality is that in our history, we have used passages like this to disciple young black men and women that they need to be quiet, submit, and do whatever we want them to do. And the reality is, is that is still true to this day. This culture still exists. If you disciple someone into a culture, you don't just rip it away. It has to be over time, worked through, pulled away through righteousness, good works, and love. Okay. And so this means we need to get into difficult conversations. But very simply, does the Bible advocate for slavery? No, it does not. The context of this is, yes, slavery was bond servitude, was very different back then. Oftentimes, many times, most of the slaves and bondservants would intentionally put themselves in these positions because they could not afford to pay off their, their loans or their debts. And so they said, I will come work for you willingly. I'll put myself in this contract so that this way I can work it off and then I will be set free. So there are certainly contextual differences. But again, we've taken this and just run with it. Okay. Um, what it is saying, okay? 
But what it's not saying is that slavery is good and should be practiced. What it's also not saying is that slaves should obey everything, even if it's sin. And I'm talking in the context of Scripture right now. So, so as Paul writes this to the slave owners, right, he's, saying, he's not saying, listen, whatever they tell you, if it's sin, you go ahead and do it. No, 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 no. It's live like Jesus. It's work hard. It's in everything prove the glory of God through the way that you submit to the people over you. In the same way that Christ, again, lays down his life and serves those that he didn't have to serve. This is very important for us to understand. Paul addresses this issue uh, further in in the letter to Philemon or Philemon, uh, you know, however you decide to pronounce it, where he talks about this slave who becomes a believer and now how how to navigate that. And so I encourage you to go read that as well. Okay. But for the early church, here's what's going on. We have three interesting comments that I think we have to touch on and understand the entire context of this. And I promise you, this is where we're landing. Verse 5 says that the word of God would not be reviled. Verse 8, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, the church. Verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. And so three times, Paul seems to be saying, hey, in these very difficult teachings, he lands with this type of language. Hey, I do this because... I want the gospel to go forth. Do this because I don't want God to be defamed. Do this because, even though maybe it doesn't make a ton of sense to you in the moment, God knows what he's talking about, and he cares more about his mission and gospel than your feelings in the moment. That the word of God may not be reviled, that we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, is the point we put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Here's what's happening in the Roman Empire at this time. The Roman familia... Oftentimes, within the Jewish culture, referred, I believe, as the paterfamilias, right? was a structure that was set up in Rome. As this is the way the family was set up. You had the father on the top. You had the mother on the second ring. You had the older kids on the third ring. You had slaves or bondservants on the fourth ring. And on the bottom, in the fifth rung, you had your young kids. This was the Roman familia. After the Pax Romana, which was a 200-year period where the Roman Empire would say, we have crushed it. We are the best thing since sliced bread, although they came before sliced bread. Okay, so um, this, is, like, this is the peak of the glory of Rome, the Pax Romana. And they, in 200, after the death of Marcus Aurelius, said that the main reason they thought that the Pax Romana failed is because the Roman familia failed. See, see, they poured so much of their belief into if the family unit serves and acts as it should, the Roman Empire would succeed. But as it began to degrade, they would attribute the degrading of the Roman Empire, Pax Romana, to the degrading of the Roman familia. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, okay, let us structure our family. Let, let us live in this way. And he, listen, he's not a, this is not an abandonment. This is more fulfillment, a continuation of Old Testament principle. Let us continue to live in this reality of this, this setup because this will allow for us to preach the gospel to Rome. So at the end of the day, this entire passage becomes not just this, hey, this is what I want for us, this is what family should look like, but it becomes even more so all for the sake of the gospel going forth. That at the end of the day, as a Christian, me, as, a, as many of you are Christians, and I'm not going to say I don't think all of you here are that, but as a Christian, right, we, 
We want the gospel to go forward. We want God's name to be glorified. We do not want it to be reviled. We don't want the word of God to be reviled. We want it to be celebrated and heralded. We want the gospel to change and permeate every aspect of culture, every heart of every man and every woman. And so he's saying, listen, if the gospel is paramount, let's live this way too. Because we want to have the opportunity to preach the gospel to the whole world. So this is all happening contextually, and wherever you line up on some of these hard topics, listen, we can all land at the end and say, gosh, man, I want to care about the gospel because it's the gospel that has set me free. It's the gospel that has set me free from having to justify myself in me being right. Everything I could have said up here, hopefully not, could be wrong, and it changes nothing about my justification before Jesus. Unless I'm lying about it all, and then you've got to question my heart and character, but that's a whole other conversation. Okay. If the gospel is true, okay, man, you don't need to toil, you don't need to fight to be correct in anything. It doesn't matter. Now we rebuke bad teaching, bad doctrine, that's surely... But in these, in these matters, we're like, okay, like, this is kind of the way I see it. I know you see it there, but man, I, and, and, and we just get in these fights, and then we bicker over these things, and all it does is to the world is it hinders the gospel, is they see a church not unified on mission for the sake of his glory and their joy. They instead see a fractured, broken group of people who claim something different. All for the sake of the gospel. So we don't, again, this is not explaining away this text. We need to live in these principles. Nothing in there changes. But it all comes under submission to the reality that there is a God who is on mission to redeem the world. And he has redeemed many of us, so let us also be part of that redemption. Setting aside that which for a moment we think is paramount, right? I've got to get this right. And say, man, I'll work in conversation through this. But God, to you be the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because I just trust you. I think a ton. And God, I'm okay with um, just being wrong about things that I think you're okay with us working through. God, I repent if anything I think or view or teach is opposite of what you want. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict hearts, that you would mold, that you would change, that you would shape, that you would do your work, that you would bring really all of us who love Christ. And even, God, I pray just even for the non-Christians in the room, God, to just come to Scripture with open eyes and we want to say, man, are you really asking this of me? For, for the women to and submit to my husband, let him be the leader of my home. What, what does that look like in the context of, of today, but in the context of the scriptures, which are the same and are true and good yesterday, today, and forever? God, what does it look like for men to lead well? What does it look like for us to also deal with hard issues of our past here in the church, to repent and confess well for the flourishing of all people in our world and society. God, I, again, I, 
I just want you to just do incredible and great works for the rest of our time together. And God, be glorified and be filled with grace in this room. In your name we pray. Amen. So now, um, what time is it? 11.30. Okay, I apologize. That was long. We're still going to do baptisms, all right? Um, Here's what I want to do. If you have signed up to be baptized, and I, and I know there was a good handful of you, now would be the time to go and get changed as I, uh, as I convince the rest of everyone else in here to get baptized. Okay, so, um, so go and change now, and once you're done, come and, come and line up over here on the side, and then we'll start that. I want to talk about baptism for just a moment, and I promise you I won't belabor this. Baptism is it's very simple, okay? It's this beautiful gift from God. It's this beautiful gift from God that says, man, here's going to be this thing that I want the church to do. I want my, my followers to do. That they would proclaim to the world, I was a sinner and Jesus washed me clean. So they come and we're going to put them in this horse trough, right? And, uh, and we're going to sit them down and we're going to dunk them. And the story goes that before they're dunked, right, if we look, if they came up here and if we made them each tell their story, that there would be this brokenness, this pain, this sin, this shame, this something, right? This, this not with Godness with them. But as they go into the water, as they're baptized in the water and the cleansing blood of Christ, that when they return up, they are completely free. That God now looks upon them no longer as who they went in as, but as they came out as. And so I, I want to invite, listen, and we do this every time, and there's always a handful of you, and I, I, don't, want you to, I don't want you to feel like this is something uh, that, like in an emotional moment, I'm just, I, if you haven't been baptized, and you believe that the gospel has set you free, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has called you, saved you, and sent you, and you are his and you haven't had an opportunity before the world to celebrate that story, and I want to invite you to come up and do this with us today. Okay. I, I, I want to invite you to come up and, and to just take this moment, and if, if you think we're not prepared, we are. We have extra shorts for you. Okay. These are actually mine. You probably can't wear these ones. Okay. Dang it. I got a t-shirt up here somewhere too, but it's the one I'm wearing. You get a free t-shirt, okay? That's how much we love you. <laughs> what I mean to say is we have a change of clothing. So don't let, hey, I'm wearing this today, be a reason you don't proclaim the goodness and glory and story of God before the world today. If you love Jesus and you have not been baptized, come and get baptized today. This will be a moment you will not forget. It will hopefully be a moment that will project you forward into more lives of fruitful ministry and obedience to God, realizing this doesn't save you. This thing right here doesn't save you. It's just Christ. But man, what a tremendous testimony, I think, to yourself, to the world, and to the Lord, and you are his. And so as people come forward, they're going to start lining up, and we're just going to be dunking people. And we always say, man, if you can't see, we tried to raise it up a bit for you today. Um, but if you can't see, come around. Let's load up this front area. And all that I ask of the people of God and anyone that's here today is you'd celebrate with these people. Because if you celebrate with them, you're celebrating the fact that God has done an amazing work. Amen? And so the band's going to play. 
we're going to dunk some people, y'all are going to cheer, and we're going to celebrate the goodness and glory of God. Let's do so now.